Hi, my name is Reggie Williams, and I'm one of the executive directors of Black Film Space. Black Film Space is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the careers of black filmmakers. We host workshops, panels, and other community building events that are designed to support black content creators. We also have a membership program that offers discounts to filmmaking resources, free events, a filmmaking database, grants, a mentorship program, and much more. In the next episode of the Black Film Space podcast, we interview Elise Oxidine, the Director of Industry and Festival Outreach at Columbia University's film program. Elise also serves as a board member for Black Film Space. Elise has dedicated over 12 years of her career to helping emerging independent filmmakers through her work in marketing, social media, partnerships, and strategy at Film at Lincoln Center, Fandor, and the Athena Film Festival, to name a few. Her focus is educating filmmakers about digital distribution practices and navigating the industry. We talk with Elise about how filmmakers land distribution deals, how to find a sales agent, and much more. This episode was executive produced by Reggie Williams and Sino Gibson and edited by Leah Kirksey. And now, on to our interview. All right, Elise, welcome to the Black Film Space podcast. How are you today? I'm doing good. Thank you so much for having me. Thank, thank you for being here. Um, so you have a, a background in marketing and, and digital distribution. Can you walk us through your history and background? Yeah, I definitely have a uh, background in marketing and distribution. I actually got my start in the film industry through marketing. Uh, I definitely started off as a marketing assistant for BAM in Brooklyn, BAM Film in Brooklyn, um, putting up posters, you know, tweeting when Twitter was fairly new for companies, um, and just like really promoting independent cinema. And that was like, oh gosh, that was back in 2011. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, 10 years ago was when I really kind of like found my way when it came to like in marketing. You know, and I kind of continued with like social media marketing for independent cinema through other companies, including um, Fandor, which is a streaming platform um, in San Francisco. And I was really excited to do social media marketing because I found it a great way to kind of connect with, you know, not just a new generation of, you know, film goers, film watchers and audiences, but just new ways to connect like independent filmmakers with like their audiences. So I found, I was like, hmm. What are some different ways that we can do to connect on a different level? You know, I think you ask anybody who has a, um, who's working in social media, they'll tell you this, like that burnout plateau that you Mm -hmm. hit. And I knew I needed a change in my life. And that's why I decided to kind of pursue distribution because I felt like there was so so much room for innovation and room for growth. Um, So I made the switch from um, working in marketing and moving down to Los Angeles and working in digital distribution, mm. um, which was pretty much an eye-opening experience. And I can't wait to talk more about like, you know, my thoughts about distribution and, you know, how very much connected marketing is with distribution. Okay, you can answer it now. How, how are they connected? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, the whole point of, of distribution is basically to promote your work and for it to find audiences and for filmmakers to monetize their content. 
So um, I was like, okay, what are some ways that we can kind of monetize content? And I found that, you know, majority of my job, like day to day when digital distribution was just marketing. <laughs> It was putting together packages, EPKs, putting together um, social media packages to work with whatever marketing agency we're working with, thinking about what each uh, streaming platform was looking for and how those films matched up. You know, we called it merchandising. It's like, okay, you know, we know that Apple will like this project. So we have to make sure we pitch this film in order to, to make it like viable for Apple um, and so on and so forth, which is very Apple likes sophisticated films, you know, they have a little bit of a younger clientele and so on and so forth. We're like, okay, this matches up. So I, that was all my marketing background. Uh, so in the social media, understanding the importance of having talent, you know, tweet about, you know, the project or having the directors of their own personal Facebook pages, you know, or Instagram pages promoting the film and its release and seeing an actual correlation between when we promote the film and actually seeing the sales was just so empowering and encouraging and fun. And sometimes they were discouraging if the numbers weren't right. But, um, but it was fun, fun to kind of be able to pivot and work with marketing agency and kind of work with platforms and figure out different and creative ways to promote uh, films. Gotcha. What, what, are, what are some other ways to promote films outside of social media? Oh yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> I think um, the main reason why I talked about social media, because honestly, that's what a lot of um, distribution companies are utilizing in order to reach populations that they don't normally work with. I think, you know, a lot of distribution companies kind of struggle with like, you know, newer content. We're so used to working in a certain type of way. Like we go to theatrical and we put all this money in. And so now they're like not putting as much money in and being more savvy. And that's why social media has grown so much as the premier place to like, you know, what we call it marketing channels. It's our premier marketing channel. Other ways, which I like more creative uh, marketing include like reaching out to communities directly, you know, working in, okay, so say you have a film that is a genre film. So working with genre film festivals to go to do like cross marketing or offering like, you know, um, discount on tickets to certain um, like, you know, fan clubs on different uh, websites or blogs that talked about um, genre films. So just figuring creative ways to kind of reach new audiences. Um, we're always, always looking at this, no one thing. Um, I know I uh, was one of the distribution team behind the Academy Award nominated film, Loving Vincent. Mm -hmm. And one of the creative things that we were able to do was like work with different art galleries and art museums that anyone that wanted or had uh, Van Gogh um, art pieces, you know, we made sure we did cross promotion, host like, you know, um, small screenings at these art museums, which were so much fun. And uh, any way to kind of reach new audiences that, you know, they may not be your typical film goer, but, you know, they care about art and they love to see like the first oil painted movie <laughs> and the styling of Vincent Van Gogh. So um, that's some of the creative marketing that we've been able to do outside of uh, social media marketing. Gotcha. Gotcha. In, in regards to tapping into groups, um, whether they're niche groups or, or, or not niche, um, wh what are some tips that you can offer, um, you know, filmmakers to kind of tap into these, into these groups in order to like promote and market their film? Absolutely. One uh, advice I always give filmmakers is as, wherever they are in the process of the film, whether they 
are just writing the treatment or they just finished the script, we're going in production. Along the way is to do an exercise. And this exercise is this, is who's your audience? And I'm not, and it's easy for us to say everyone, my, my film's for everyone. Not every film is for everyone, but knowing your audience is actually currency and is very powerful, especially when working with a, a distributor who may not necessarily know how to reach your specific audience. So I have this exercise that I do with filmmakers where I ask, you know, what are the ages of your audience? Uh, how are people watching your film? Are they watching in the theater? Are they watching, on, you know, on their Apple TV? Are they watching on their Roku? Are they watching on their phones downloaded from a streaming platform? Are they watching it off of like, you know, um, Facebook watch? Like think about ways they're watching it. Where are they watching it? What part of the country are they in? Are they in an urban environment? Are they in a rural environment? You know, are they not in coastal towns? You know, so think really quickly, what's their social economic status? You know, are they black? Are they white? Are they multiracial? You know, just really kind of do the exercise and do a complete audience breakdown because distributors do that. And it's such a good refreshing exercise to do as a filmmaker um, because when you're talking to a distributor, you can, they can say, oh, well, we want to go to, this older population in Florida, and then you're like, wait, actually, my film would do better in a more urban environment like Atlanta. So just really thinking, having those conversations, and said, no, I've actually done the research. You know, um, I when we played at this certain festival, these audience members, um, you know, it resonated. So also, if you're playing at a festival and you're actually physically there or virtually, you know, start talking to the audience members and get uh, sound bites, little pieces of what they say about your film. They say, oh, this person who is African-American, 45, you know, um, middle class living in North Carolina really enjoyed this film. And they said this, like that is such important information to have about, um, about your film and knowing your audience. And it helps out tremendously with marketing and in distribution. Got you, got you. I just want to play an exercise or a game with you. Yeah. A show like, I know this isn't a film, but a show like Insecure, mm -hmm. how would you describe the target audience for that show? Target audience is your black millennial. Your, they call it the Blavity Blacks. Mm -hmm. okay. <laughs> so ones who are very much watching, you know, um, probably had BuzzFeed articles just as much as, you know, like Blavity articles, you know, someone who's relocated from their hometowns, uh, who may live in a more urban environment, like, you know, LA, New York, you know, San Francisco, Chicago, Atlanta. So it's anyone who's relocated, I think that's a core audience. I think it's anywhere between 25 and probably late 30s. Um, I think it resonates the most when you're in these kind of relationships where with friendships and, you know, romantic relationships where things are kind of forming and finding their own paths and the careers kind of match the characters. Um, I think one thing that, you know, Issa Rae has done exceptionally well with this too was like the music. So anybody who's really into music, so you're getting a lot more creative population as opposed to people who work in corporate America because they're gonna be able to recognize the music. Um, they're gonna be the millennials who are, who have um, disposable income in order to take a trip to Mexico together with, with a friend group and, um, or, you know, going for a promotion. So I think that they are in urban areas. They range from ages 25 to 39. Um, they're skew mostly women. Mm -hmm. um, and so higher social, like middle class or upper middle class. Um, 
So that's how I would best describe that audience. Okay. Yeah, that that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, why did you mention relocating, though? I think it's relocating because, you know, I've, I've been, oh, I lived in, relocated to San Francisco, New York, LA, and I'm originally from North Carolina. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think it's the ones who are a bit more uh, of a risk taker um, when it comes to like finding, and also in terms of finding a new community, because I think what Insecure does really really exceptionally well it's like you know if you're kind of like aspirational it's like how do i find groups of people like this i think insecure rep is very aspirational for a lot of people who like move to a new town want to get to know more people even though they don't there are not many relocators in that um in the series but i think it kind of speaks to the person who was like oh man i would love to have a friend group like that even though molly was trash <laughs> with which she acted in the last season not too many spoilers so someone's not caught up but it's been a year it's been a year so uh so i think it's something that um kind of represents that so people who like relocated people have taken a bit of a risk in life in terms of you know seeking out new friend groups um or re-estab- re-evaluating their own friend groups re-evaluating their own uh relationships that you're kind of almost forced to do when you move to a new place mm-hmm. gotcha now what if you know there's somebody listening to this podcast and they're working on a project but their project isn't isn't niche mm-hmm. it isn't specific enough like you know, for I'll, I'll even give an example. Like I, I'm working on a, a project now, and it's 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 not niche. It's it's just about like you know, four black people in their 30s. You know what I mean? Like it's it's just it's you know, it's 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 not yeah. very niche at all. So like, is it even worth trying to like what? How how can I find a group to sort of start this marketing distribution plan, or is it even worth? It's worth it. Everything has some kind of specificity, even like a group of like, um, you said, uh, black folks in their thirties, are they mostly male or women or or a a balance? It's a balance, a balance relationship. So, you know, where do people like to do like who are, who kind of reach those kind of populations? Unfortunately, we like to brunch, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, we like social events. Like what are some things that we're doing? Think about, you know, your reflection of your life and your friends, whoever you're kind of based on. It's like, okay, that means there's going to be flyers at the lounge or flyers at the brunch, um, you know, seeking out like, okay, where, where are people meeting? Where are they congregating? Um, what, what, like I mentioned with Blavity, like, you know, what, what are the places that kind of brings people who are interested in seeing these kind of stories on screen? Um, because they exist, you know, there are chocolate cities exist for a reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you have any type of advertisement. You know, and you can even look at like, you know, newer streaming platforms that are catering specifically to black audiences, you know, popping up. They, they're looking for that. They know how to advertise, you know. So it's just a matter of thinking like where would I, what would I like to see advertised to me when you have something that's a little bit more of a reflection on yourself. Um, if you're in your 30s and black, you know, saying like what what resonates with me when I see. I know, like, you know, I always use my siblings as like a litmus test because they are not related to film whatsoever. Um, but I find when they find when they find independent cinema, it's usually what they see on streaming platforms. It doesn't look like everything else. They're not looking for the stars. They're looking for just like real people that they can relate to. 
So they're utilizing these platforms. They're like, oh, okay, let me check out what's on BET or Aspire, or BET Plus, or what's on Aspire, or any other um, sites that they can look at. Quelle TV, they're like, I want to invest. I want to support Black stories that just show us, you know, in life <laughs> and not just overcoming obstacles, maybe just overcoming obstacles of a bad breakup. <laughs> so there's definitely an audience there. And um, it's just, it may take maybe, it may take a little bit more effort to find, mm -hmm. but um, it's there. Trust me. Gotcha. Okay. Um, how do distribution companies serve filmmakers? Hmm, that's a wonderful question. Um, the right distribution company serves filmmakers by cutting that check, <laughs> getting the film out to the platforms. <laughs> You know, that's the whole purpose. It's that's why it's called distribution. It's to like distribute, to send out, to disseminate information, to, to send out the films to the world. You know, um, I really enjoyed my time working at Good Deed Entertainment um, because we had weekly calls with the filmmakers. You know, and it was any filmmaker who wanted to join. It was the it was of course always the director, always the producer, but sometimes we got some of the talent who wanted to join the conversation. We had one of the writers who were like, I really want to join the conversation. And it's just giving, we, were, we gave updates every single week leading up to the release and even after the release. And we, we of course, took them to dinner and just like check in and reassurance and just build like, a, you know, an open line of communication. So I think, you know, in terms of like what you can service, I think it should look at as a two-way street of like the distribution doesn't do stuff for you. You know, it's a collaborative effort. Um, because you have that expectation that the distribution company will do it for you, you're in a bad deal already. So mm. definitely think of it as like, okay, you may you may not have final say with what the final uh, poster looks like, but you will have a say. They will show you some options, or they may be like, oh, well, we want to change the name of the film because we want an alpha stack, which means you want your film to start with a higher letter in the alphabet, so it can be optimized on different platforms um, that list films uh, alphabetically. So, you know, I had one situation where we had, we wanted to change the name, and the filmmakers were like, absolutely not, and we're like, you know what? Okay, we're not going to push back. But another film, you know, we we're like, hey, we want to change the name because it has the word "gun" in it, and it was around the time there were a lot of school shootings so we, they were like you know we understand and we we're able to change the name so it's just like you want that open line of communication um that's the best way to prepare yourself and uh, working with the distributor because mm. it can be really challenging when you're feeling left out and i think a lot of distributors have gotten a bad rep over the years um and it's to their own fault <laughs> it's a lot of them their own fault mm. but i think honestly there are still good distributors left um, they're just as overwhelmed as you are in some cases, because if they could, they would distribute all the movies, but you know, they're small teams. Um, they're, they, they don't have the bandwidth of, uh, to showcase everything. And also they may have a certain aesthetic they're going for, like, you know, look at the A24, which they have the, the A24 aesthetic. So mm -hmm. it, it doesn't fit in line with it, you know, and I want to point something out about that too. It's not just the aesthetic, is they know what audiences they can always tap into. So once mm -hmm. that audience sees A24, that clues them in that I'm gonna buy this movie. I'm gonna go to the movie theater, mm -hmm. purchase a ticket, um, buy concessions. I'm going to rent this movie on um, Apple or rent this movie on Amazon or Voodoo. I'm going to probably own it because it's so good and I'm obsessed with A24. And then, <laughs> and then I'm gonna watch it again when it comes on Netflix or Hulu. 
Um, so they already know they have a built-in audience, so they don't want to stray too much because if they get a film that is not kind of in the norm of what they normally have, it's going to, it's going to take extra work and effort for them to reach new audiences. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, they've, they've, they've done an excellent job in, in their branding. It's like Absolutely. you don't even need to know what the movie is about. You know it's going to be a certain quality. And that is very, very intentional on behalf of A24. That's why people are like, oh man, I want my film to play at A24. Well, it's like, is it an A24 movie? Um, is this something they can reach the, their core audience on a consistent basis? If it doesn't fit that, then you're not the right fit for A24. So A- A24, they, they acquire films. It's not just them. I always imagine they, they produce the films. Like, Yeah, so I'll give you a little bit of um, information of why that exists. There are more and more of these distribution companies that are becoming micro studios. Um, because it's actually cheaper for them in the long run to um, to produce the films and you know distribute them themselves. Um, because if you're playing at Sundance, for example, um, and you know you're all, all automatically buying a film out of Sundance, it starts at like seven figures. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially if it's a popular movie, you're, you're paying, and that's a minimum guarantee, MG, which means at minimum, I'm cutting a check for a million dollars. It may be paid in installments, or you get paid after you reach certain milestones, but like we're buying this film. That's those announcements you see. This film sold to Amazon for $22 million. This one sold to Netflix for $5 million. Da, 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 da. That's mm-hmm. way more money than actually producing the film. Themselves, you know, distributing it, keeping everything in house. So you're going to see it's not just A24. A lot of the uh, the kind of growing um, distribution companies are following suit with that because it's just cheaper. It's just more cost effective, I should say. Yeah. Gotcha. Um. Do you think it's worth self-distributing, like selling a film? online independently does that even because the marketplace is like crazy right now like just there's just so much content out right now it's like oh yeah if you have a solid film is it better to just go to the film festival route and see if you can get some sort of distribution deal or is or is there any value in independently selling it and keeping like majority of the of the of the money so having worked in self-distribution at a terrible company (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I can tell you that in theory, self-distribution works in theory, but in practice, it doesn't um, because it's not a viable business model for any company to help you put your films on different platforms, you know, and then you're pretty much as a filmmaker boxed out of working directly with platforms that are actually going to monetize your film. So for example, Amazon is not taking on any more documentaries or shorts um, in their video direct program because they were inundated with content that just wasn't up to par of the standard for their site. So they were getting many complaints from, you know, people watching the films were like, why is this even on here? Um, if the quality is so low, I can't even hear the movie. So I think, you know, there's been, the bottom kind of fell out about self-distribution about two and a half years ago, or maybe even two years ago. So that back in 2018, 19, mm-hmm. the bond fell out when it came to self-distribution. So we're kind of moving away from that. Um, I'm pretty sure in the next couple of years, because we're going to hit a production boom in the next uh, post pandemic, um, they're going to come back. But I say buyer beware, beware of the like, oh, we'll deliver the film 
to the platforms for you. You have to pay a flat fee. Um, yes, in theory, you're supposed to like keep most of the money, but you end up not. <laughs> I don't know if y'all heard of um, heard about the lawsuit with um, Distriber yeah. and how they, you know, it's just millions of dollars that they owe filmmakers almost. Yeah. Like it's an insane amount of like it just doesn't work because you're having to go through a third party in order for the for the platforms to pay the third party, then they have to pay you. So you have to trust that a company is going to make good on their word. And I think a lot of people are scared after distributor. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's going to be much harder. I think also if you are going to festivals thinking you're getting distribution, you're already behind. Mm -hmm. um, I would say about at least 50% of the films that play at Sundance already have distributors. Mm -hmm. And I would say out of all the films that play at Sundance, not just the 50%, but all the films, 75% have sales agents, um, have people set up already, 100% have publicists. Mm -hmm. Like, if you're going to go to any festival, get a get a publicist, if, especially if it's any type of reputable festival, even it's like, you know, a festival like, you know, you take, for example, your New Orleans, you know, or South by, um, you know, uh, Pan-Africa, I've actually encouraged filmmakers to get publicists at the Pan-African Film Festival. There's any festival that you're playing at, hire a publicist. Hire a publicist has a good relationship with um, sales agent. Mm -hmm. That is the way to go because, you know, um, as, a, as a distributor, as a buyer, uh, I'm going to, to the festival to watch films I'm already familiar with. You know, I've already spoken to the sales agent and they're like, well, we could see the link, but we'd rather you watch it at Sundance. We'd rather you watch it at the festival so you can get the experience of being in the crowd. Or we may have already seen it and we're looking for our other team to take a look at it. But every distributor has a kind of chart of the films and they prioritize the different films they want to, they want to buy. And they get that list before they even step foot in the Park City or step foot in Austin or step foot in New York for Tribeca. So we already kind of know what we're going to buy. Um, and we made, this film's probably probably had buzz before. And also sales agents work with um, the festival. So I always tell people, you, <laughs> you one does not submit to festivals, you're invited to festivals, especially the major ones. Mm -hmm. I know everyone's like, well, maybe that one chance, you're at a 0.1% chance of your film getting into the major festivals off of a blind submission. 0.1%. So, what, what is the point of the festival? <laughs> or the bigger <laughs> ones? The big, like the bigger ones that, you know, uh, we, we, we see, you know, market getting acquired. It's not just about the films that play at the festival. It's about the market that they create. Like Sundance doesn't officially have a market, but there's a market. So you're going there to like connect with other people to get your other projects off the ground. So it has the highest concentration of the people you need to do business with from around the country. You know, with Cannes, it's from around the world, highest concentration. Like the biggest news that really comes out of Cannes has nothing to do with films that are in competition. It's everything to do with what's happening at the Marche du Film. So that's where most of the buzz are, is happening during the festival. So that's why people go to festivals. And as filmmakers, if you get into the festival or if you're not getting into the festival, I always, like, you know, pre-pandemic, I always said, go to the festivals, meet people. Like you have the highest concentration of people that you need to meet in order to get your projects off the ground, you know? And then I would like reserve, you know, you know, focus on this, um, 
you know, I don't want to call them mid-tier festivals, but festivals on the rise is what I call them. And that's why I mentioned New Orleans. Um, and there's other festivals that do a great job of actually supporting filmmakers and getting you industry meetings, getting you in front of like industry executives to help you launch your careers. So that's what you want to go for. The people who are going to actually help you kind of achieve these things and help you kind of weed through all the, the craziness of being at a festival. Yeah. So um, I think, and it's not impossible to be invited to festivals. I think if you have a short film, um, and if you want to play at a Sundance, play at these mid-tier festivals that have juries of like other programmers. So they're like, oh, we have a jury, we have jury prizes and all this other stuff. Those are the festivals where your short film submit to. Definitely want to submit to. Um, you know, because, and then reach out to people. Like one of the things that I do, and my programmer friends are going to be like, don't tell them to email us. <laughs> we'll tell you now. Um, don't just do a dear sir or madam email. You know, look them up, follow the festival. You should be familiar with the festival you want to submit to. And just saying like, hey, you know, I've been following this festival for a while. I have a film that's very similar to the film that you played before. I think your audience is going to really like it. Especially email the festival if it's a, a place where you're from, is your hometown. You shot the movie in that state. Reach out to them and say, I shot the movie here. A lot of these regional festivals get funding from local government um, and funding to like put on these events and they get even extra funding if they support local talent. So if you're in like, you know, or Georgia, or if you're in, you know, North Carolina where I'm from, or you're in uh, Texas or Michigan or anywhere, uh, search New out. New York or LA. <laughs> New York or LA, no. But if you're any, literally any other state, reach out to like, you know, the local festival. You want to play that local festival um, because that's where you want to go. I've seen film, short films specifically get programmed out of regional festivals into Sundance, regional festivals into South by. So do it because they have their programmers there and or friends of programs. All programmers know each other. They're all friends. You know, yeah. they're all pretty, actually pretty cool people. I was like, I know it hurts to get rejected, but like, you know, you got to keep in mind the people who work for festivals are not doing it for the money. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's not, it's not a lucrative. Uh, <laughs> At all. We work at festivals because we care deeply about like discovering the next talent. We care deeply about your careers, you know, and it pains us when we can't get all the films in the festival. It really does. It really, really, really does. Yeah. So having that mentality, you know, you have a little bit more grace when you submit to these festivals. Um, if you do plan on submitting, especially the smaller ones, because they're they're really working hard. They're really working hard. So um, I'm, I am, I love festivals. I've always been supportive of them, but I also realize the reality of festivals. And I think, um, the next steps for filmmakers is to really work with sales agents, work with consultants. I know you're like film consultants, but yes, that's a thing. Mm -hmm. um, and they can help you with like, you know, meeting the right people. But I think, you know, going back to what I said earlier, knowing your audience, it's the most important thing. So if you go to a, a sales agent and said, this is my audience, I know I can monetize this film. I need a distributor who can help me reach these audiences. And here's what I need to do. That is going to grab the attention of a sales agent because they're going to be like, oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> I can. I know the right distributor for you because we know the fancy big distributors like your A24, but there are tons of smaller ones that are able and have the bandwidth to distribute a lot of films and that do. 
you know a lot of films don't end up getting distribution absolutely you look at other avenues where you can um in terms of going back to the question about self-distribution um so yes you have your like you know the ones that are able to kind of take it on you're not looking at a lot of money let's just be very clear but if you know your audience and you understand your release maybe it's not theatrical uh, maybe it's the streaming platforms, you know, we don't have like a SVOD or SVO, uh, subscription-based VOD, which Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, Apple TV, so on and so forth. But, um, you know, may not have that set up, but you have like, you know, other options in order to monetize your film. And don't count anything out when a door closes and you're like, well, that's it. It's not always it. I have so many stories of people being like rejected from Netflix before and then Netflix coming back around like, JK, uh, we actually want your film. Or mm -hmm. same with Hulu, same with Amazon, you know? Also keep in mind that people, they're called content acquisitions managers. So people who buy content for these, um, for streaming platforms, you know? A lot of them have MBAs from top schools. They're doing financial planning, not thinking about, oh, this will good, do well on this platform. No, they look at, okay, we know the metrics behind people watching these types of films. So we need to make sure, and they're going through them fast. So mm -hmm. we need to make sure we're consistently adding content that matches up with what we have. Like that is the key thing. They want people to keep their subscriptions no matter how high they raise the prices. Now, going back to self-distribution, um, in terms of like, especially if you have something that you're like, oh, you know, it's not a good fit for the streaming platforms. It's a very specific audience. And I think they're on like, you know, YouTube. You know, you can monetize on YouTube. You can monetize your film on Facebook Watch, like finding different and unique ways. You can not even have, or if you are able to do Amazon Video Direct, if you have a narrative a film, then that should be your like end goal. Like find it outside of the system of self-distribution, the, the, the shady business side of self-distribution. Yeah. You know, whether it's setting up your own screenings and communities. So you're like, oh, this is a community thing. Or like I said, with the film uh, about like the the thirty somethings, you know, so, like work with places where most of these thirty somethings hang out, and just say, look, let's do a screening at the paint and sip. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> and and then and the paint and sip be like, oh, the, the, as a company or a, dan a local dance studio, um, they'll be like, oh, you're bringing in new customers. We have a whole event. People like to do these types of events, especially like in, in your thirties. You're like, oh, I want to do something fun and different. I can post on Instagram, post on my TikTok, but something just like outside the box. And having a film screening where you can see people that look like you and that you can relate to, <laughs> that's golden. And then you can charge for that. You know, usually the light, the um, the license uh, a, a film like in a library or for a screening fee anywhere between three hundred dollars to like two thousand you know depending on the film depending on what you're trying to do so the pain sip could pay you three hundred dollars to license you and license the film license you to come do a talk you know and they can provide the food or you work with somebody anywhere you can do make it an event um yeah. and i know people who've done that they've taken their film on tours yeah yeah <laughs> I, I like that idea yeah I like that idea. Um, so much information, at least. <laughs> I have like, I have like ten questions. Um, but I'm gonna I got, start. I got way more answers. <laughs> I know. I Let's know. go. And there's like a whole, like, we have questions written out, and I don't think we're gonna get to any of them, which is fine. <laughs> but um, how does one get a sales agent? Yeah. So. I think 
in order to get a sales agent is to understand, you know, where they are, who they are, do research. So, you know, you know that uh, there's a sales agent that's genetic, you know, um, there's the film sales company, you know, there's several uh, uh, sales agents. And I think one of the, <laughs> I love these kind of research tips because, and how to find things on the internet. Um, I don't know if you ever had like, I, like, okay, I'm dating myself. I'm, I call myself an elder millennial. But like in one of my classes in college, they taught us how to do research and how to find things and find people. I'm the friend who's like, don't tell me your boyfriend's last names. I will find out all the information. <laughs> <laughs> but um, look at the cell, look at the films that have sold, um, films that are similar to yours, that have played at a major festival. Go on the festival's website, go to the film page, scroll down, and they usually list who the sales agent contact is. So that's one way. Um, researching, Googling sell, film sales agents or the sales agents that are available at like the, uh, at the Cannes film market. Um, using the site Sanando, um, it's, usually, it's usually for films that, it's usually used for film professionals um, who are playing at, who are going to major festivals like that have markets like TIFF, Cannes, um, Berlinale, you know, um, the European film market, like so on and so forth. So like joining those, like maybe a free trial or like, you know, seeing whatever you can, information you can find of just understanding who the sales agents are. Um, I'm also a big fan of going through the credits through the films that are similar to yours. There's an exercise that we do in distribution is called like pulling comps. You know, I think as a filmmaker, you always want to pull tonal comps. So when you're going for financing or you're going for, um, you know, any type of like distribution or anything like that, you want to find comparable titles. Let me tell you the psychology behind that. When you're talking about comp titles, you want to find films that have made similar amount of money that you would like to make or have made money, you know? So um, it's kind of like the whole idea of the tech startup pitch where it's like Netflix, but for independent movies. That was Fandor. Netflix made money. So you're adding something that's very specific audience that they know you, it's dedicated independent film. So to a, to a financier, to a sales agent, to anybody else, that clicks for us. We're like, okay, you're, I always say the industry, we're dumb and lazy, but the audiences are very smart and savvy. So give like for the industry, give like, put it in terms that we can understand. You know, we can understand, industry, we're Ivy educated and have, you know, masters and MBAs and all that stuff, but give it to me straight. Like get, mm -hmm. <laughs> break it all the way down for me. How can I make money? You're comparing it to something that's made money. And also a tip for filmmakers, always have recent comps of the last three to five years. Anything beyond five years is way too old. Wait, do you have to do an inflation uh, calculator after that? Mm -mm, don't do it. Mm -hmm. Choose comps that are very recent. And within the last year is like golden because you ever see a film that looks similar to another film that you just saw. Yeah, that's for good reason, because they know that people want to watch that movie too. Yeah. So pull the comps is a great exercise to do as a filmmaker, along with uh, putting together your audience. And that goes in your EPK, your elect electronic press kit. When you send to sales agents, when you send to distributors, when you send to people, you know, you want to build this document and having a beautiful informational, like how to target audiences, how you can actually make money in your film. Like, you know, if we have just 400 people buy movies for like, you know, rent for $3.99, we're making the average of this much money minus any type of percentage is taken out. Like think on those lines, like how do I, how can I make money on our film? Especially for the producers that are listening and pay attention because this is important things to understand. We have those conversations with 
the um, distributors. Yeah, and the comp, a comp is like a comparison. Yes, it's a comparable title. Like gotcha. that means, and we titles are the same thing as films. So uh, a, a film that is comparable to yours. And what is the that website, Sinando? You said how do you spell that? C i n a d o. Okay. So I imagine, you know, obviously in order to get a sales agent, you you know, you gotta, your film needs to be of a certain quality. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like there's, there has to be more to it than that. Cause there's a lot of good movies out there. Yeah. But don't sell, I think it's also relationship based. Mm-hmm. So they have to, you have to get along with a sales agent. <laughs> you know, they have to like you. <laughs> yeah. I know it sounds crazy, but you want to like the people that you're working with in the industry. <laughs> Far too long we've worked with crappy people. No more. Mm-hmm. No more. And then sales agents get a bad rep because, they, because, especially in the U.S., it's all like, oh, they're so seedy, they're this and they're that. International sales agents are completely different. Completely mm-hmm. different. Um, it's kind of hard to describe, but it's something, it, it's because it depends on the country. But um, if you're working with an international sales agent, that's going to grab the attention. Even if your film is American, reaching out to an international sales agent and saying like, hey, I would love to sell the film overseas. I think it would work really well in another country. You know, even though, um, you know, this is an American story, I think, you know, say, for example, Europeans are going to really love it. I, I think that, you know, people in South Africa and Nigeria specifically are going to really enjoy this movie. You know, people in Rwanda and Kenya are going to enjoy this movie. So reaching out to those different countries um, and looking at their sales agents, those they're much easier to find and much easier to reach out to because basically they're not getting this call these calls from American filmmakers, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially if you're black. They're mm-hmm. not getting these calls. They're not getting emailed at all, and they want that because you know people in other countries are curious about our lives here, you know. And if you're able to take that thirty somethings American story about friends getting together. Who says it can't sell overseas? Mm-hmm. We've been told that for many years, but it's actually not true. There was like, oh, we want a glimpse in the life of like, you know, American black people. Like, sign us up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, now, you mentioned like we, we've talked about Sundance and, you know, there's a certain lack of a better phrase, the top tier festivals, the festivals that that get the big distribution deals, Sundance and Cons and Tribeca. What, how, how many festivals are like, what, what are the festivals out there that do land distribution deals? Um, it's kind of hard to say because it's not always a guarantee. You know, I think that, the, you know, your top tier, like I, I really like TIFF, you know, mm. TIFF is co-run by Cameron Bailey, who is a brother um, Caribbean origin Canadian, um, and is always looking for, you know, black American stories, you know, um, and also TIFF, the Toronto International Film Festival, uh, is one of the rare festivals that everyone in the industry likes. Mm. <laughs> it's good. It, they are accommodating to buyers, they're accommodating to audiences, they're accommodating to filmmakers, and it's extremely hard to do to hit that trifecta. Mm. Um, so it's, it's where you want to be and they have a market. So if you go up to Toronto, if you're able to travel internationally, um, it's a great festival to kind of get you know, started. And you know, the buyers are there. Like we all look forward to TIFF, all of everybody does. Cause they're like, okay, I get a little, it's, it's, it's prime time. We're looking to buy, we're buying now. 
you know, we, whatever we missed at can, we're not missing now. And all the distributors go, all the sales agents go to TIFF. Yeah. So that I would prioritize that festival. I miss TIFF. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I, know, um, yeah I, I don't, I, I guess I don't, I don't expect you to list off every festival that can get distribution deals. Oh, I think I, I can list more. So I think in terms of the feelings of the industry towards uh, festivals, I think Tribeca and South by are hit or miss. So a lot of them are not, either they'll go or they're not, or they'll send someone who's like not their top executive. I know that sounds crazy, but like they'll send like a junior executive to those festivals. Um, and, it, and it's not for like a track, I think it's just a time of year. It's like, you know, South by and Tribeca usually fall between Sundance and Cannes. And so in terms of uh, for distributors, we all go to Sundance, we all go to Cannes, we all go to TIFF, you know, just period. Those are the three, we have to go, you know? Um, they will judge us if you don't. We're like, oh, you didn't do this, this distributor. What's going on with them? Are they okay? <laughs> so, you know, those are the top ones. Um, South by and Tribeca just lately, but there's been hidden gems there. So I feel like the distributors should like give like, you know, Tribeca and, and South by a real look, they'll find hidden gems and end up being like part of their slate. But it's not like they're tentpole films, but it's always part of their slate. Like, uh, we bought some great films out of Tribeca and South by, but like it's a lot to rummage through. And like I said, the timing is we're we're prepping for camp. Like that's during the time we're prepping for camp. Um, in terms of regional festivals, I already told you I love I love New Orleans. I will shout it to the rooftops. <laughs> I'm not ashamed. New Orleans is a great festival. It's a great festival, especially for like you know your emerging filmmakers um, and everything. So in terms of the other ones, I think the pandemic has really really hit a lot of festivals hard. Um, so I think it's going to be hard to kind of navigate. Oh, I, I love um, Indie Memphis is a good one um, as well. So it's just kind of it's it's hard for a lot of festivals to kind of bounce back um, after the fest after the pandemic because. Keep in mind, they all were very reliant on art, the art house theaters, especially the ones in the regional parts of the West. Um, relying on art house theaters that didn't fare well during the pandemic. You know, having to switch to doing a virtual festival, maybe losing sponsorship dollars. Like a lot of the festivals are really struggling, the regional ones that I really do love. Um, so I'd say just be patient, um, pay attention to the festivals that your friends are announcing, that you're seeing films that are similar to yours announcing that they're playing, um, those are always a kind of good indicator. Um, and ask filmmakers, ask people, ask your co-filmmakers, ask, send a DM, um, tweet under someone and say, hey, oh, I see the film, congratulations on getting this festival, what are your thoughts? Like people want to share information. And I think that's like kind of the beauty of black film space is just, it's a place where you can talk. You know, we can like discuss like, okay, what are some festivals that work with some that didn't in a place that we can be ourselves. So um, I highly recommend, you know, I mean, I'm saying from the perspective as an industry, but uh, industry person, but ask your film, fellow filmmakers, ask like, especially any festival that you had know somebody who's played it, ask them about the festival. Because guess what? They know the programmer and they're like, oh wait, I heard about your film. Like, you know, have you considered applying, sending me this festival? I know I know the programmer. Let me send your film, or let me get you in contact. Yeah, that's the goal. Yeah, yeah. Now there's there's other festivals too, like that are um, up and coming or mid tier, you know, mid level, mid tier. Urban World, for example, like I know 
filmmakers that have gotten distribution deals from Urban World. Yeah, Urban World is good as well. Yeah. Absolutely. So I would go for Urban World. Um, I'm trying to think of some other ones. Black Star is a great festival. Um, depending on the content that you have, if you're looking for more of a broader audience, ABFF is the way to go. Because um, I feel like they kind of capture it. Um, in terms of short films, um, Palm Springs is a great short film festival um, that's getting the attention of a lot of um, uh, industry. Another one if, for script competitions, Austin Film Festival, hands down has one of the best screenwriting competitions um, that I know managers and agents pay very close attention to. Mm. Very, very close attention to. Okay. Um, and in regards, like way, maybe like 20 minutes ago, we were talking about, uh, or you were mentioning, you know, having somewhat of a say in like the poster of mm -hmm. the film and stuff like that. Like, is that, is that a conversation with the producers or with the director? So the distributor will have conversation. It's actually with both. Like a good distributor will pull like the producer and director into the conversation about like changing the poster. Because, you know, when you're looking at your distribution contract, that's one of the things that, you know, you kind of discuss is about, do you have final, the distributor has final say and final trailer cut and final poster. So that's pretty much standard in most distribution contracts. Um, so, and that's something that you can discuss with your distributor saying like, actually, we want more of a say, uh, we want final say, you can negotiate that. But most of the times the distributor is like, we know best, we know what's going to sell. Um, you know, we use different agencies, you know, what I used to do, like any poster mock-ups, I would like use Photoshop and place them in the online marketplace, uh, and put together like mock-ups within the platforms of what's going to stand out. And everything that we were trying to do was how do we sell the movie? It went down to that level. So what I would do as a filmmaker, when it, don't get too attached to your poster design. Don't get too attached to your trailer because the distributor will have final say in doing that and trust us on it. It makes a difference. Mm. It makes a difference. A huge, yeah. huge difference. But certain things that you see as a, as the filmmaker, like this is a great shot, but like it's a great shot, but it doesn't work. It's not going to grab someone's attention when they're when they're they only have 15 seconds to watch this trailer or 15 seconds to, to get their attention in order for them to buy the movie. Yeah. So yeah. What is the process of a distribution deal like in regards to it, a, the financing of a film? The process of like of getting distribution. Yeah. So, in an ideal world, it would happen like this: where you get a sales agent. So, say you are. Let's put in the scenario of you playing at TIFF. Okay, you know you're playing at TIFF. You got the notification. They told you to hold off on letting anybody know or tweeting about it until like the press release comes out in like a month. Right. Um, that is when you email a sales agent and saying like, Hey, you know, um, or ask them like, Hey, thank you so much. We're so excited to get in. Oh my gosh. Yay. Um, can you feel free to connect us with sales agents or do you have any sales agents that you work with or publicists that you work with, um, that you really enjoy? They're going to be like, absolutely. Talk to Synetic. Um, talk to Susan Norgett, talk to like, you know, um, what are the other ones? Brigade marketing. Um, so talk to those folks though. They're, they're great. Um, so you're going to grab a, a publicist. Sometimes you get a publicist before the sales agent, but most of them know each other. So either, or just saying like, we're looking for a publicist and a sales agent. 
we want to make sure we're getting in front of distributors. So get them on early so they have um, access. You can sign whatever contract. You know, you get they get access to any press materials. They they watch the film ahead of time. So they know how to pitch the film at the festival, right? So your film premieres at the festival. Yay! Um, you're announcing everything like that. So that your publicist is the one who's building requests from distributors or sales agents building requests from distributors. Like, oh, this is right into our slate. We were interested in watching this movie. And, and the publicist and sales agent are gonna be like, well, we're gonna hold tickets for you at the screening. So they go watch the film, they love it. After the screening, they're like, let's have a conversation. So it's the backroom conversation with the writer director. Um, no, I'm sorry, the producer and the director, sales agent, publicist, distributor. They're having a conversation. You come to agreement, but you, you know you want to announce that that time. So like, okay, let's go. We have a, the distribution agreement. You're going to get the short form distribution agreement. It's not going to be a long form when you're at a festival. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, if it wasn't at a festival, you have and it's not the scenario of being at, at this event. You're still getting the short form distribution agreement ahead of time. We're going to have to have a whole nother panel on reading <laughs> a distribution contract. <laughs> <laughs> but um, if you're getting this information, you're, they're, they're, they want to buy the film, they want to give you a minimum guarantee, so at minimum you're, you're cutting a check for this amount of money. So say it's $100,000, I'm just using that money because it's easier. But in terms of most independent projects, it's $100,000 or less. The million dollar projects, you pretty much already have everything already set up. It's, it's really hard to get that. Um, or your film has already played at the festivals. You haven't heard much. You, you had the sales agent or the publicist did get much, but the conversations are still going. A couple months later, you had the, the short form agreement from a distributor that really liked your film and advocated for your film at a particular company. That has happened before. I've advocated for films that we ended up buying at, at my old distribu distribution company. So they're looking at this agreement. They want to own the film for 25 to 30 years. They, they're going to take a distribution cut of like, 20 to anywhere between 20 and 40%. 40% is very high end, but you know, your sales agent is going to take a cut of 12% uh, or a sales agent, yeah, 12%. Um, publicist either flat fee or percent, usually a flat fee for a publicist. Um, and they want to buy all rights um, in all territories. Most of the time, they want to buy US and Canada territories. Um, and then, or they buy all rights and sell off different rights to different sales agents in other countries. Um, if they're looking for a deal with, um, for example, um, you know, a streaming platform called oh, streaming platform Hulu or somebody, you know, they're like, well, S5 already taken care of, you know, and they're going to cover your um, your minimum guarantee. So they do those deals. So maybe in those rooms, you're with Hulu as well, <laughs> or Hulu's on the phone, mm -hmm. or something like that. Ooh, my distributor friends are getting mad. <laughs> But it is what it is um, for y'all to understand how this process works. Mm -hmm. um, and then they're like, well, we want to buy rights for, you know, theatrical rights. We want to buy streaming rights. Um, and, you know, and those different streaming rights include like your, of course, your theatrical or most of the time they do a day and date, which is you're released on um, platform like premium platforms for $6.99, like in theaters now. And you're also in 10 different markets around the U.S. So the top markets, L.A., New York, San Francisco, Atlanta, you know, um, Boston. So yeah, Boston, Chicago, so on and so forth. There's 10 different markets that are like the top markets, highest concentration of people in the US. Um, they want those rights. They want the rights for a transactional VOD. That's the buy and rent. That's where marketing comes into play because marketing kind of determines how much 
you're going to be making, <laughs> um, you're making the most amount of money in that time frame. Um, and that's 90 days. Um, and some of the controversy that's going on right now about like pandemic and films playing on platforms, usually it's a 90 day window from the time, you know, the film's bought to the time it gets into, you know, well, not bought, I'm sorry, time it goes into theaters to the time it gets on different platforms. Um, they're trying to shorten that window right now, um, the shorten that standard window. Um, they usually need that to make the maximized amount of money they can make on a certain film. Um, I think it works to the benefit of filmmakers to shorten that window because you can really kind of be a little bit more aggressive with marketing. Um, because I think the long window makes you a little bit lazier, like, oh, but on our end, it's that's where the real work begins because we start working with platforms and how to, when we're talking about merchandising and knowing the audience, that's where my job comes in. So I'm like, okay, I have this film, I'm breaking it down to the bones of what we can use to sell, like to really push this film to platforms and maximize the money we can make with these platforms. And you're like, well, what's the point of marketing when it comes to like, if it's on Hulu, if it's people are watching on Hulu after two years, because you usually have a license agreement for two years on the streaming platform, on the subscription-based platforms, then they're like, oh, let's renew and pay you more money for the film to stay on our platform. Mm -hmm. um, oh gosh, that was 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> of like a typical distribution deal. And then after that, there's like, you know, other rights they can explore, like educational, especially for documentary filmmakers, but also for narrative stuff, because I used to rent movies in the library. Like that was like my favorite thing to do still to this day. Um, there's different sites like Canopy and Hoopla. You know, there's ways that we can play in classrooms. You can play it in prisons, you know, and, and maybe the parks want to have like a screening, parks and recreation departments at like a local, you know, in a small town wants to have a screening because the film is shot in that state. Um, so there's so many different ways of, we call it exploiting the rights, of uh, figuring out how we can sell the movie and maximize the amount of money we can make. So everything, kind of, everything I just told you kind of boils down to how do we maximize the amount of money we make along the way? Especially because they have the, the distribution companies have to recoup the cost of the minimum guarantee. So they're like, okay, we paid two hundred thousand dollars. We gotta make a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, and and a hundred hundred thousand dollars. That that does not for the filmmaker. Does not sound like very much money at all. I know, but that's the reality of how a lot of this. That's how much people are paying for these movies. Because it, it it'll, well, I mean, I guess if you raise if you raise money yourself and you let's say you make a movie for two hundred fifty thousand mm -hmm. dollars, I mean after 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 everything, you probably end up after like the publicist and the sales agent and mm -hmm. taxes, you probably end up with what thirty thousand dollars, if that. That's crazy. I know. I'm <laughs> That's like three years of your life, like minimum two to three years of your life mm -hmm. to get paid, like to get paid, you know, 30, 25, $30,000. Yep. That's the reality of distribution right now. Yeah. And for, if you have a small film, um, that's the reality of distribution. That's why I usually don't fully encourage people to go for investors because investors are like, well, make my money back. And you're like, yeah, how? Um, but <laughs> that, that, 
Yeah, but in terms of going back to the minimum guarantee, like that's why you want an MG. That you ever hear filmmakers like, I want an MG because an MG, the hundred thousand dollars is money to you. Um, and then either from the MG or from your film sales, that's when you know you have to pay the percentage out to the sales agent or pay the publicist. You have to pay people or pay for your DCP because in doing your captions and doing your EPK and all the deliverables, you have to cover those costs, you know, and because and, sometimes your MG won't be released until you pay the cost of creating your DCP. That's also the reality of it. This is where I, this is where I start to question the value of the smaller distribution deal because it's like if you have your own audience if you can somehow build your own audience or if you could be strategic enough and distribute it yourself not not through the third party system but through mm-hmm. Vimeo or you know YouTube or whatever it is uh what's the what's that uh donation thing that everyone's using Patreon or something if you can mm-hmm. somehow get people to donate on Patreon or sell merchandise or something like, why not just self-distribute as opposed to going through, not to say to not try to go through the, the film festival, because I understand the benefit of, you know, just it's 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 a it's a process. You know what I mean? It's not you know, it's not like your first film or second film is going to take off and you're going to get that seven figure deal. It might take you, you know, five to 10, 15 years just to get to that level, depending on, you know, certain circumstances. But it just yeah. makes me question the whole the point of going through this this process if if you end up with you know twenty five thousand dollars after you know two to three years of, of blood sweat and tears yeah but it's not always a guarantee with like a distributor the goal is for like i said the hundred thousand dollars and then like the course at twelve percent taken out for the sales agent if that's you know the agreement that you come up with that's why i mentioned negotiating negotiating with that sales agent and publicist early um because like i said you're getting that money like whether it comes in waves or anything like that so whenever you're doing your budget especially for filmmakers and for the producers on the call do your but when you do your budget put in money for distribution cost at least five thousand dollars at the very least for distribution costs um of creating your dcp of like any kind of deliverables that you need music clearance enl like all that kind of stuff you want to make sure you're able to cover that um the hundred thousand dollars comes to you the filmmaker like the producer and director goes to the filmmaker now you can make money after that like the, it is a possibility that's why marketing i'm glad we started off the conversation with marketing is one of the most important parts of this whole entire process because if the distributor does not know how to market your film you're not making any more money past that hundred thousand so if you have that mg for a hundred thousand so what you would want to happen is um and usually they're what we call a filmmaker statement. So after six months the film's released, you get a statement of how much money the film was made. Now you may it may look negative because <laughs> your film didn't make a hundred thousand dollars on like streaming platforms, theatrical day and date, so on and so before the before it was going on um, subscription based VOD, which is like your Hulu and Netflix. Um, it didn't make that money back. So they're like, we still have to recoup our costs. So we're exploiting all rights in order to recoup the cost that we had to spend on the $100,000 minimum guarantee. Now they did, they, if they knew what they were doing and they were doing a great job in um, marketing the film and say they make you know, $200,000 in sales and uh, transactional sales and everything like that. Um, and that means you're, you're like, yeah, I'm gonna do $100,000. That's when that distribution fee comes. Okay. so. 
$100,000 to have already had a recuperate uh, for any marketing cost, the cost of the MG, so on and so forth. Then it's a matter of that distribution fee that's like 30% that they take. Um, and you're probably left with like that $50,000 after the 150,000, I mean, after the 100,000. So I'm, <laughs> I wish that was like a better way of explaining this, but, um, I'll probably miss something. So I apologize to the, the dis other distribution viewers listening in, but I just want to make sure you have a more realistic idea that, you know, um, I know the goal is always distribution, but it may not always look like you think it's going to look like. Um, it may be a little more challenging uphill battle to actually make money on your films than you think it is. That's why I'm really glad you mentioned this idea of self-distribution and finding other ways. You know, all that money and time and energy, like, is still going to be less. When working with a distributor, is still considerably less than actually self-distributing because all that work you have to do yourself. Yeah. All that work you have to do yeah. yourself. Yeah. What so, about what about merchandise in regards to um, going the distribution route? Um, it it depends on the film. It really depends on the film. Like for example, A twenty four. Of course, they're gonna merchandise because they're super fans. But if you want to make a T shirt with your film on it, like unless it's something that is very specific to the film, you know, and almost to become a cult classic, um, I I actually would encourage people to look and to um uh a good documentary to watch is um how to eat your watermelon in white company while still enjoying it i'm butchering the name <laughs> but it's the story behind sweet sweet back badass song um melvin van peoples he did it first he knew he you know submitted the, the film to be rated and they rated it x but it was like all white people rated x so he created a t-shirt rated x by all white jury and sold that merchandise. Mm. The, the creativity. I mean, he was the godfather of independent cinema, like period, not just black cinema, independent cinema. Yeah. Like he created the blueprint for it. Um, I'm gonna get the name of this movie right. <laughs> um, but it's he's literally my favorite director because he knew how to create within a system that was not for him and go straight to the community. Um, I mean, I talked to my dad, my dad was a former Black Panther. And during that time, they went to go see that movie in theaters at least three times. Like every mm -hmm. Panther had to see the movie in theaters at least three times. Yeah, that's dope. So he came up with a marketing strategy that was all on his own in the 70s. Mm -hmm. And then kicked off the Black Exploitation movement because um, studios saw what he did and they're like, hold up. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, so it is possible. It is possible to get a distribution deal and be like, "All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sell this merch on the side." Yes, yeah. it's possible, but don't have it generic. Like, I would love to have a T-shirt that says "Rated X by All White Jury." Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's a matter of being very creative with the kind of merchandise that you put out. You know, one thing that I will give, um, you know, Hillman Grad is who didn't want to have the Hillman Grad T-shirt. Um, you know, at, at the time when Lena Waithe started the company, like who wouldn't want to have that? You know, that was something that was cool and that was cultural and of the moment. Um, so that's what you want to go for. Things that are just going to be like, just that people would want to wear. Cause there's a lot of merchandise out there. There's a lot of clothing companies. There's a lot of like, you know, um, there's a lot of stuff out there. There's a lot of goods out there. What's going to be that one of people see it. They're like, 
I gotta get this. Like, and then people are like, oh, what's that T-shirt from? It's hilarious, or it's so great. Oh my gosh, it's so poignant. Like, it's amazing. You're like, it's from this film. Like, have you seen? Have you not seen the film? Like, you need to watch it. It's on like YouTube TV right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in regards, in regards to um, web series, can you? Is that something you can speak to in regards to like getting distribution for a web series? Um, web series is a little more difficult because I feel like the industry is still figuring it out. Um, and I'll tell you why. Like, remember what I said that the industry is dumb and lazy? Like, we don't like change. <laughs> we do not like change. Mm-hmm. And web series, we don't know what to do. We really don't. Because we we can't understand the audience if it's not network or streaming platforms. There was even pushback when Netflix introduced series and really was pushing series, that their original series. Everybody was like, well, what are you doing? Are you trying to be like a network? We're confused. So even to this day, people are still wrapping their heads around like like series that are on streaming platforms. So we still have a long way to go when it comes to web series and finding distribution uh, independently. Yeah. If, if, if it feels like web series were bigger maybe like eight to ten years ago. Right. And now if, if you put out a web series on YouTube like it seems like it's really hard to build an audience and, and, and kind of get that onto Agreed. not to say you can't get on a streaming platform. Like I know people who have been doing that, but to get it, you know, to basically do what Issa Rae has done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know uh, broad city was a thing. Um, no. Awkward black girl, but it, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure if something has really been popping off like the last three or four years. No, you're, you're very, very much correct. Um, it's really hard to work a web series. I think when it comes to um, anybody who wants to work in TV, you know, you want a solid pilot. And I'm talking about the pilot needs to be pristine. You know, show Bible, you need to have the right team in order to work with networks. There are other smaller platforms that want to produce their own series. You know, um, for example, I look at Reverie. So anybody who's, you know, it's Pride Month, but queer folks out there. Um, uh, Reverie TV has done a great job of like, you know, producing their own web series, really pushing things out because they know that um, people are looking for that. You know, there's this very specific audience that wants to connect and wants to see themselves portrayed. And I think that's one of the few platforms that's done it very well when it comes to representation. So if you're going to do a web series, it needs, it don't do just a copycat of something that already exists. It needs to be so out the box and so very specific um, that you can work with a small platform in order to get it produced. Because small platforms, they want to do that. Um, so I think in terms of web series, like the best way to go is like, like I said, that pilot needs to be like, I'm talking <laughs> perfect. Mm. <laughs> and I hate to say that, but it's true. Um, I would do y'all a disservice if I was lying. Um, but definitely you want it to be a pristine pilot, work with platforms that want to create, want to like really push out there, reach new audiences, do that same kind of audience um, building uh, exercise in order to find people who are going to resonate with it. What about short films getting uh, distribution? What What is that process like? Internationally, it's so much easier. <laughs> there are short distributors in so many other countries. So many other countries. Um, we struggle with short uh, film distribution here because everyone assumes that it's like a, a means to an end. 
or, or it's like just on Vimeo staff picks or short of the week, or it's like playing on YouTube or playing on Facebook watch or anything like that. But there's not really much light or being a cult classic. Everyone kind of remembers, but nothing really becomes of a short film because everyone just assumes you're trying to make a feature. Um, I think that there is a changing wave towards short um, distribution. I think you can look at Desda Films uh, and what they're doing in terms of like just helping distributing uh, short films. And they're working with Kino Lorber to, um, to kind of like really push it out there. So, and it's run by a black girl. So, <laughs> so um, Desda Films would be like the one place I'm starting to see like, okay, maybe the ties are really changing. And even in the smaller platforms, like the tiny ones, like Fandor is back, um, the Kinoscope was going for a while, like um, Ovid, I think is, is the name of it, OVID, I think is a TV, the short film distribution, I think, um, but it's few and far between. I think, you know, be, it's important to be realistic on what your expectations are with your short film in order to determine what the release strategy will be. Gotcha. Is there something that, or what do filmmakers usually miss when it comes to making a license agreement with a distribution company? Um, I think filmmakers miss the fact that they do need a lawyer. Um, to a lawyer it's worth the money. I don't care. You max out your credit cards. I don't care. It's going to save you money in the long run. You need to have some legal experience, uh, preferably, of course, a lawyer. Um, to read over your contracts, please <laughs> don't rely on someone else's lawyer to do it for you or like, Oh, you know, they're a lawyer on the other side. No, they're going for their most favorable position. Yeah. So you want to make sure you're going for your most favorable position. It's going to help you, um, as a filmmaker. So there are services that, um, provide a, like volunteer lawyer for the arts. Um, or it's a great organization. Um, and if you're trying to create an LLC, E-Minutes is a great organization that can help. But I think that's the biggest misconception and how people get in bad distribution deals because they, you know, they don't, they're not a lawyer and they're looking over the contracts and not getting someone else to look over the contracts. Um, that's the, the biggest mistake I see. The other ones I see is just a matter of understanding. There was a great panel at South by Southwest like about over 10 years ago. It was called Your Baby is Ugly. <laughs> Struggling with rejection in the industry, but your film is not, you know, is not to the level you would, you would, you are going to make your films. Like your films are going to be great. You just need more practice, maybe a first feature, whatever. Your film's not perfect. You know, sometimes it's a little ugly, but it's okay. Bless the heart, you know, it'll be okay. Um, but it's a matter of understanding the limitations of your film. I think you know, everyone deserves a 24 treatment that they have for their films. Everyone deserves that. But not all films are within, fit within the realm of a 24. I'm sorry if I offended anybody, but I have to, I have to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> Keep it above. Keep it above 50. So um, definitely just being honest with like the limitations of your work, um, that it may not be the best fit for certain distributors. If you don't, if you don't see another film that's similar to yours working with a distributor, it's not going to be a situation where well, I'm going to set myself apart and I'm going to do this. Distributors don't think like that. We we are very rigid in the way we think, and we know what works because we're dealing with money. 
So we're like, we know that consistently this gives us money, so we're going to consistently do this. Period. So mm -hmm. that's kind of what we're seeing um, in that. So self-distribution may be an option, or it may be a distributor that's not A24 or not like a, like a neon or not a bleaker or not IFC. Like there's other, just, there's a lot of distributors out there. I think there's a distribution guide, um, I think on Gear Producers, um, that kind of lists all the distributors, you know, who, who wanted to participate in the survey that they were doing. And that's a great place to start, to start learning about distribution companies. Who's running them? You know, you're going to find a lot of distribution companies are run by a high net worth individual who may or may not be like someone who aligns with their politics, or they, it may be a huge conglomerate uh, that is running, that's basically funding everything. Like, yeah. you know, um, and I'm, and I wish I would, these were like just random examples, but I'm talking about two very specific distribution companies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's just, it just happens. Just understand, like, you know, get a sense of what are these distribution companies? How are they making money? You know, what kind of films they're, uh, they're um, looking for? And I think this is a good exercise to do when you're shopping around your script. And also if you have a script and it's in that phase where you're like ready to go out to people, start going out to people, <laughs> start going out to financiers and say like, look, we were looking for distribution partners. We're looking for producers to come on board to put money in to kind of help with like, you know, releasing the film. I just have a, a, someone I consult for who actually just had that deal and it's the dream deal. Um, a little too good to be true. So I told him to get a, another lawyer to look at it, but it happens, you know? So I think, uh, it, it can be challenging and discouraging, especially with distribution. It's probably the one of the, it's the most discouraging part of filmmaking. Mm -hmm. um, it is very discouraging because you're like, you had to put all, like you said before, you put three years in, you only get $25,000. Like what? Um, but that is the reality for a lot of films. So kind of the one thing I'm passionate about is making sure that y'all are educated about the, the process and managing expectations. Maybe it helps you adjust your budget. Um, I hope so <laughs> in order to make, or it helps you make certain deals with talent, certain deals with other producers, certain deals with like the writer. So it's, you're like, Hey, I got to manage expectations here and how much money that we can make on our movie. And so, so I can be a working filmmaker, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and also I was going to mention too, about financiers too. I really do like bonded and what they've been able to do. Like, you know, this is a bunch of white guys from Connecticut and they know what they're doing in terms of financing films and they're fi financing very diverse films. Mm. Um, and they're one of the few that I'm like, well, y'all figured it out. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so just finding organizations that want to help and they help with distribution. They help with like, they have relationships with all of the sales, all of the sales agents, all of them, you know, so seeking out companies like that, that may not have the big names, splashy names, but are really responsible for helping out a lot of um, independent filmmakers. Another financier, three-point capital, you know? Um, so start reaching out to these organizations, familiarizing yourself, educating yourself on distribution. There's so many guides. Don't trust everybody, but really, like, if they're not explaining things and explaining terminology and taking their time to break down things, they're not worth your time listening to. Mm -hmm. You know, really kind of vet. And also, I encourage anyone listening, vet what I have said. Pause mm -hmm. and be like, well, I gotta come back to that. She said, what now? um please like <laughs> this is check me <laughs> i am fine with that gotta do your due diligence things we, change too things change and we don't play with our money we don't yeah. play with our money we don't do that we don't do that 
So yes, do your research. Due diligence is so important when it comes when, with distribution. Yeah. All right, Elise, thank you so much uh, for all of this information. This was incredibly insightful. I personally learned a lot. It's given me something to think about. Um, and I am sure that whoever's listening to this is going to find lots of value. Um, is there anything else you wanted to add before uh, we let you go? Um, not at the moment. I'm just like, you know, excited about seeing people's work from the Black film space. Um, excited about meeting more members of the Black film space and um, all the wonderful things that we're doing. So, yeah. Awesome, awesome. And where can people uh, find you on the internet? On the internets. <laughs> um, feel free, I'm on all platforms under Furelease. Um, I'm pretty sure you're going to probably um, tag you. Tag me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just stay connected. Feel free to have people reach out to me all the time and they have questions or follow up questions. Like, I may not get to it right away, but I will answer you back. So. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much, Elise. Of course, of course. Thanks for having me.
Thanks for listening to the Black Film Space podcast. If you're interested in attending our events, becoming a member, or donating to our mission, please visit us at blackfilmspace.com. Also, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Black Film Space. Subscribe to our email list and podcast. All right, peace out. We'll see you soon.